0: Reading from Psalm 4. Answer me when I call to you, my righteous God. Give me relief from my distress. Have mercy on me and hear my prayer. How long will you, you people turn my glory into shame? How long will you love delusions and seek false gods? Know that the Lord has set apart his faithful servant for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Tremble and do not sin. When you are on your beds, search your hearts and be silent. Offer the sacrifices of the righteous and trust in the Lord. Many, Lord, are asking, who will bring us prosperity? Let the light of your face shine on us. Fill my heart with joy when their grain and new wine abound. In peace I will lie down and sleep. For you alone, Lord, make me dwell in safety.
1: Thank you, Sarah. <clears throat> well, um, it's good to be back in the Psalms, isn't it? And we're, as, as we've just read, looking at Psalm 4 today. Um, but before we get there, you might, have, you might have missed it, maybe you picked it up, but there was a bit of a minor stir earlier in the year uh, when this report came out. It's called the World Happiness Report. I don't know if you've heard about this. Um, Australia for many years has been in the top 10, but the scandal this year is we've slipped out of the top 10. Um, the top 10 happiest countries in the world for the first time. Of course, this is a bit of a blow to our national pride, right? Uh, it's also, a little, I read some commentary on this saying, it's a little bit strange to make, have a happiness comparison between countries like this, since comparing ourselves to others is one of the things most likely to make us unhappy. Uh, but there you go, we do it anyway. Um, But it does speak to the huge amount of energy and focus that we give to this issue of happiness, well-being, how to be happy. Uh, You may have picked it up as we read through, but there's a version of that question in this psalm today. Down in verse 6 there you can see, many are asking, who will bring us prosperity um, who will bring us this, you know, this happiness, this kind of contentment, this meaning, this security, this joy, this purpose. Uh, what are we looking for as our rock, uh, as the foundation of our lives, the thing that, if we have it, will be okay? The thing that, if we have it, will be okay? Well... Um, we are reading through this term, uh, as I mentioned last week, it's a little bit disjointed. Next week, Paul Harrington will be um, preaching for a couple of weeks in Genesis, and then we'll be back in the Psalms, and then uh, it's a little bit disjointed, but on the whole, th- this term, we're, we're looking through a selection of Psalms through the book of Psalms, either written by uh, David, Israel's greatest king, or in, in uh, one instance, written about him, um, the uh, and we're particularly focusing on how these psalms lead us to Jesus. That's how we framed it last week. If you weren't, didn't listen to last week's sermon, if you weren't able to be here, I do encourage you to just to go back to get the big picture of where we're heading from there. We're going to be focusing on how these psalms lead us to Jesus, our great and eternal King. Um, how, as the Apostle Paul says, Reflecting, meditating on, singing these psalms will enable the word of Christ to dwell richly among us. And that's our prayer for this whole series, that that might be the case. Um, and what Psalm 4 brings out to us is the answer to that question, who will bring us prosperity? Um, the, how you answer that, it matters a lot. It's a big deal. And our King Jesus cares deeply about that question. Well, um, if you uh, have Bibles open, that'll help as we read through. It'll be on the screen too, though. And you find out in the title there, there's another title at the top of this stone. They're actually really important. Um, they're not added in by later writers. They're part of the, uh, like some section headings in your Bibles are added in by the editors of the Bible you have in your hands. These ones aren't that. They're part of the original Uh, text, and and they actually they can give us really important information about the Psalms. Um, And uh, one of the most important bits is where it talks about being a Psalm of David, and you see that here in that title, that introduction to the Psalm. Um, That was the same last week in Psalm 3, where the title gave us that information about how David's being pursued by his enemies, Um, and that was a pretty intense Psalm in some ways, but if, as, as we travel into Psalm 4, it's almost it's as if the intensity is kind of notched up even more right from the beginning. Um, in Psalm 3, he, he waits to the end of the psalm before he calls out to God. But here in Psalm 4, he just bursts out, calling out to God straight away, pleading with God. Verse 1 there, "'Answer me when I call to you, my righteous God. Give me relief from my distress.'" Have mercy on me. Hear my prayer. We saw last week that there was uh, this this strange thing that happens as you read through these Psalms where the great king of Psalm 2 that we read earlier in the service, the great king of Psalm 2 is actually a king who is familiar with suffering. Uh, Last week it was the suffering caused by the opposition of those who were his enemies, those who were kind of... Trying to, uh, trying to kill him. Um, but we find here in this psalm something that causes the king just as much, if not more, pain. Um, you can sort of feel that coming out from that first verse, can't you? But you can also sense, as you read that first verse, you can also sense David's deep confidence in God. He knows God not just as God out there, but as my God, my righteous God, my God who is just, who puts wrongs to rights, and he knows God as the one who can give relief and mercy, the one who hears his prayer. Well, what is it, though, that has caused this anguish in David's heart? Uh, last week, it was the opposition of those outside, uh, but in verse 2 here, David shifts uh, from talking to his God to talking to his people. And he says, How long will you people turn my glory into shame? How long will you love delusions and seek false gods? Um, we can kind of understand the distress David's in in Psalm 3 from last week, right? His... His son's turned against him. He's facing all this opposition. But here's something that brings a deep grief to God's king, the sin of his people. And David looks at them and says, You've, you're turning my glory into shame. Um, I keep referring to Psalm 3. It won't be there <laughs> much more. But you know, in Psalm 3, David says that, Yahweh, the Lord, is his glory. Um, God is David's rock, the solid foundation of his life. And he looks around at the people of Israel and sees that what is so central for him, they're treating with shame and contempt. They're bringing shame on the reputation of the Lord, of Yahweh, and of his king. Uh, and David fills it out more in, as we go on. In uh, another kind of exasperated question, you can sort of feel um, the pain in his heart. He says, How long will you turn my glory into shame? How long will you love delusions and seek false gods? David looks at the people and sees that they have a heart problem. Um, he goes right down deep in them to what it is that they love what grips their heart what is at their core and what David sees there is a delusion they've attached their hearts to things that are you know fairy floss (laughs) that are delusions that cannot satisfy they're like people um, pining in the desert looking forward at the oasis that is just a mirage Uh, And they're pinning all their hopes on the mirage. And when they get there, they try to drink, it just disappears. And their mouth is filled with sand. Um, They love delusions. And that heart problem shows itself in what they seek. What is it that they're straining for? What is the mirage in the distance that they're running towards? They seek after false gods, after lies, after, uh, instead of lifting up the one who is David's glory, the covenant Lord of Israel, their hearts are drawn to the false gods of the nations around them. Um, but David knows that that is a mirage. He knows that when they drink from that, it'll just be a mouthful of sand. Or in the words of another a later prophet, Jeremiah, he puts it, put it like this um, that they have forsaken Yahweh, the Lord, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. David knows that Yahweh's right there, the spring of living water, and yet his people are digging their broken cisterns. They're seeking after false gods, they're loving delusions. they have the glory of David held out to them, the covenant God of Israel, the creator of all things, who redeemed them from slavery in Egypt, who made them his special people, and yet they keep turning to the mirage, (laughs) the broken cistern. And all of this causes David the king a deep grief, a distress. I think you can even sense a kind of indignation or anger here. Well, just like we did last week, uh, we're going to think uh, just briefly about uh, how this might track forward to our great King, Jesus. Um, Maybe you know the story, you can find it in Luke 19, that as Jesus looks over Jerusalem, as he's entering Jerusalem, um, he looks over Jerusalem and he breaks down and weeps over the city because the people would not recognize him. Um, The sin of his people fills the the king with deep grief. Um, Even anger you see, actually. Um, Mark chapter 3, there's this story in the synagogue um, when Jesus is faced with the unbelief of the people and looks at them in anger, and it says he's deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. Well, so David... Um, fills us in with the grief that he feels at the sin of his people. But then he he switches, and he he starts to... He he gives them his instruction, the king's instruction. Um, He says this in verse 3 to these people. uh, In the light of their sin and of the grief of their king, he says, "'Know that the Lord has set apart his faithful servant for himself.'" The Lord hears when I call to him. So he's saying, listen up. Don't, don't ignore what I'm saying. It's an incredible thing to say, isn't it, for David, uh, that the creator of the universe hears whenever I call to him. Uh, it, it might be a little bit like me. You know, if you came to me with an issue and I'd say, oh, yeah, don't worry, I'll just give Her Majesty a quick call and she'll sort it out for you. Um, and I'll hop on the phone to Buckingham Palace um, I think we're still under the Queen, aren't we? Yeah. Um, sorry. Uh, except that doesn't get actually anywhere near to the unthinkable claim that's being made here. It would be more like if an ant in the desert had a direct line to the palace. Um, it's uh, you, can, you can sense the hugeness of what David's claiming here. The Lord hears whenever I, when I call to him. But he's not just making this claim out of nowhere. Um, we've already seen how Psalm... One and 2 uh, set the scene for the whole book of Psalms uh, and as we read earlier back in Psalm 2 David wrote that the, the Lord said to me you are my son today I have become your father ask me and I will make the nations your inheritance the ends of the earth your possession you see David's special relationship with the Lord as his son, as his king, his faithful servant, was based on God's great promises to him as his king. And based on that, David can say with confidence that the Lord hears him. And this is its kind of a, a bit of a warning to his people. Stop looking to your false gods, which are nothing but delusions, to despise me as God's king... He's actually to despise the one true God himself. David's saying to his people, listen up, take this to heart. Uh, and so he says to, to them in verse 4, he says, well, know who I am, know who, who speaks to you now. And then he says these sort of sobering words, tremble and do not sin when you are on your beds." Search your hearts and be silent. Um, That word tremble is a really strong word. It has to do with being deeply troubled, even sort of unsettled, angry even, in a way that kind of even comes out physically. Um, I take it here that David is urging his people to share in his own agony over their sin to recognise that they have turned their king's glory into shame, that they have loved delusions and sought false gods. And not just to gloss over that, but to sit with it, literally to sit with it on their beds in the quiet of their heart, to see their sin and to be silenced, to not to offer up excuses, not to offer up anything of themselves but just to be silent before their holy God so David says know that the Lord has set apart his faithful servant for himself the Lord hears when I called to him tremble and do not sin when you're on your bed search your hearts and be silent but he kind of switches in the next verse right he goes from that more negative warning urging um, to a more positive instruction to his people they need to recognize who he is they need to recognize and repent of their own sin but David here urges them to turn back to the Lord to to get back to right worship to to get back to Yahweh verse 5 offer the sacrifices of the righteous and trust in the Lord Well, this all leads us forward doesn't it it all leads us forward to god's true eternal son and king jesus and david's relationship with yahweh was like a pale imitation of jesus's perfect relationship with his father he talks about it in the closest possible terms um, it's kind of all through the gospels john's gospel particularly one of the one moment in John's Gospel in John eleven, uh, the story of Jesus coming to Lazarus's tomb, and as he's standing in front of the tomb of his friend Lazarus, um, just before raising him from the dead, he prays out loud for everyone to hear him. He prays, "Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this." for the benefit of people standing here that they may believe that you sent me. See how Jesus is David, the, is the perfect king here, the one who calls and God always hears him. And we, and we hear Jesus in this psalm calling us, urging us to know that reality about him to realize who he is and to bow our hearts to him as our good king. And flowing out of that, he calls us in this psalm to to drop our pretense, to let our pride and our self-justification fall from us in the presence of our majestic king, to acknowledge and to repent of our sin. Jesus came calling for repentance. Um, Repentance involves an open, humble, broken acknowledgement of my sin and a conscious turning away from it. But repentance goes further than that, actually. It's not just a turning away from something. It is a turning to someone. Repentance always goes together with faith with trust, with turning to God. Uh, And you see that in verse 5 here. You see it in Jesus' own call not just to repent, but to believe the good news. To trust in Yahweh, in the Lord and his salvation. Jesus came to announce good news for sinners, good news for the unrighteous who know their need. And turn to him to be covered by his righteousness, and that good news—that uh, good news really leads us through the rest of this psalm, actually, uh, as we keep reading. Um, so all the people around him—they're running after their false gods and they're seeking their delusions. In verse six, that question that we started with: many are asking, "Who who will bring us prosperity?" Um, but David has good news that stands out in contrast to all the people around him that he's, he's seeing, he's got in view here. They're desperately looking around for prosperity, for peace, for happiness. But David knows the real, true, lasting source of real, true, lasting prosperity, joy, peace. And it's not in material things, you see that in verse 7, where David says, uh, talks about uh, this happening, even when their grain and new wine abound, even when it seems like the false gods have paid off for them, uh, he knows that a heart full of joy is available to him. Well, where does, where does David find this joy, this prosperity, this Lasting peace. He finds it in the presence of his God. He finds it in the presence of his God. You see that here. David doesn't just want things from God. He wants God himself. In verse 6, he asks, he pleads, he calls out to the Lord and says, Let the light of your face shine on us. Another way of saying, let us experience your presence among us. And then, then in verse 8, he can lie down and sleep in peace. If he has the Lord, if he has Yahweh, he has all he needs and he can live in true safety. Um, David sort of grasped at this in an imperfect way. If you know the story of David, you'll know that um, when uh, he gets confronted by his own sinfulness... Um, And he reflects on that in a great psalm, Psalm 51. Um, In that psalm, he he, he calls out to God and says, Do not cast me from your presence, or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. David knows that when he's away from God's presence, (laughs) uh, he cannot have joy. So David sort of grasps at this in an imperfect way, but what David grasped at, Jesus fulfilled fully and perfectly, and he did it for us. Jesus always lived in the light of his Father's face. Um, Again, John's Gospel is just um, great in sort of bringing this out over and over again. Jesus is, it talks about Jesus being in the closest relationship to the Father, the one who makes the Father known to the world. Um, The Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. Uh, Jesus says, I and the Father are one. The Father is in me and I'm in him. Uh, You even get this incredible thing that Jesus says in chapter 17 of John, uh, where he says He shares the Father's glory before the world began. Jesus always lived in the presence of his Father, in the joy of the presence of his Father. And we're going to reflect more on this in a little while when we get to our great Psalm, Psalm 16. So we'll reflect more on that then. So we've heard David's prayer, his, his, his suffering, not just at opposition but at the sin of his people. Uh, we've, we've, we've heard him in, instruct his people and we've heard him call out to the Lord uh, as his, his joy and peace. Uh, what does this psalm have to say for us today though? Um, those who are united to Christ, the one who perfectly fulfills this psalm, Um, Those who are united to him by faith, who share in all that is his, who have given him all all that is ours, and who have all that is his. Um, uh, We had a leadership team meeting this week, and uh, we looked at this really striking story in Luke's Gospel, Luke chapter 22, of Peter's betrayal of Jesus. You might know the story, Jesus is sort of uh, getting ready for the cross, and um, he, Jesus predicts that uh, Peter is going to betray him and J- Peter denies it. Um, and then, But then uh, there's, this, there's this really um, striking moment in the chapter where it's all happened, as Jesus said it would. Um, Peter has betrayed his Lord three times. Uh, and then the rooster crows. And it says this, The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Can you picture that? And Peter does the right thing. Peter does the right thing. He doesn't continue in his pride. He trembles. He repents. He goes outside and he weeps bitterly. And friends, it may be, it may be that in his great mercy and kindness, God is softening you to feel something of the ugliness, even of the wickedness of your sin. Um, Perhaps you've never done that before, you've never had that moment. And it may be that even today, now, or tonight, when you are alone on, on your bed in the silence of your heart, it may be that that is the wonderful moment when You die to yourself and you come alive to Christ. Um, Perhaps you have had that moment of big R repentance, um, that first coming to God, but there are ongoing sins in your life, ongoing rebellion that has not been acknowledged. Um, In Psalm 4, we all see our King, the eternal Son of God, our Lord Jesus. Look right into us. Look right into you, deep down, through all the barriers, through all the hardness, right deep down and say, how long will you turn my glory into shame? How long will you love delusions and seek false gods? And it would be a wonderful work of God's grace if your answer to that today is that question of how long, Is no more no more I turn from that I shut my mouth before you my God I stopped trying to defend myself I stopped fighting against you and I turn to you instead in faith I receive your gift of righteousness that I don't deserve and boy do I know it now more than I ever did that I don't deserve but that you give me freely out of your great love And now, in view of your great mercy, I offer myself, my whole life, as a living sacrifice to you, my God and King. I trust in you. You see, these psalms are not just about imparting information to us. They're not just about that. They are means by which God wants to shape your heart. God wants to... Down deep into you, so that you would more and more love what your king loves. You would more and more hate what he hates. Um, there is a great prayer in uh, that comes from the Anglican Book of Common Prayer. We're going to actually pray it together um, in, a, in a little bit. It expresses this beautifully, I think. Um, actually, can we maybe we have that come up on the screen? Now, we won't pray it together. We'll pray it together soon. But I think this expresses this really beautifully. It starts off like this. Almighty God, you alone can bring into order the unruly wills and affections of sinners. And if God in his word today, by his spirit, is bringing into order your unruly will your affections, your loves, your hearts, then that is his mercy and grace to you. Don't resist it, friends. But that's not all. Um, That's not all there is. It must never be all there is to say. God hammers away at your sin in order to bring you to his joy. And so this prayer goes on like this. It's, it's, It's kind of in old language, so... Uh, Just go with it. Um, Almighty God, you alone can bring into order the unruly wills and affections of sinners. Grant your people grace to love what you command and desire what you promise, that among the swift and varied changes of the world, our hearts may surely there be fixed where true joys are to be found. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. What a powerful prayer. What a wonderful thing to pray, that God would shape our hearts, would give us grace to love what he commands and to desire what he promises, because that's not our natural state. That's what we need to pray. Our king grieves over sin. And part of sharing in his sufferings is not just sharing in opposition, but is also sharing in that grief. The, the king's grief in, in Psalm 4. But do you see the, the beautiful flow of this psalm The the king's grief gives way to his joy, uh, to peace, to light, and to life. We've already seen this, um, but Jesus had perfect joy and peace in his father's presence. You ever think about Jesus as the most joyful person who's ever lived, the most peaceful person? Um, There's a beautiful part of John's Gospel in chapters 14 and 15 where Jesus tells his disciples, basically, that what, what is his, he gives to them. What is his, he gives to them. Uh, in John 15, there's this discussion about how Jesus is the vine and where the branches connected to him. And he writes, I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. Or a bit earlier in chapter 14, Jesus says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. We are united to this king by faith so that all is ours, all our sin is on him and so that we can sing, Now my debt is paid is paid in full by the precious blood that my Jesus spilled. But the, other, the flip side of that is all that is his is now ours, his joy, his peace. And there are times for many of us when our experience of this joy and peace can seem very far away. Uh, sometimes that is because of an un, un, of unacknowledged sin, that needs to be brought before God. Sometimes it's more just the result of life in a broken world, in a broken body. Often it's probably a combination of both. I've certainly um, experienced that this year with my own mental health struggles. Have um, sort of brought that home to me in a way I'd never known before. This is where, friends, this is where seeing Jesus as the perfect and ultimate singer of this psalm, the one who fulfills it perfectly, this is where that reality is so liberating. The king's joy and peace in this psalm is Jesus' joy and peace. He, he wants me to share in it. He gives it to me as a gift. But it's not dependent on me It doesn't go up and down with my fickle heart. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father in perfect joy and peace, interceding for me, for you. Um, That has to over time shape us, right? That's what we pray. it It will shape and form us so that we share more and more in both Jesus' grief over sin and his joy in his Father's presence. Uh, it's never going to be complete in a fallen and broken world, in this body of flesh. But my job isn't isn't really to worry about that, actually. Uh, isn't to worry about trying to work up a feeling. My job is to keep my eyes and my heart fixed on my great king. Having my sin chipped away at in the light of his holiness, having the joy and peace that he eternally and perfectly shares with his Father, rub off more and more on me until the day when he returns to make everything new. That's God's work within me. That's God's work within you if you are in Christ, if you have put your trust in him. And there's no better response than to pray that God would continue to do that within our hearts. So that's what we're going to do now. I'm going to lead us in this prayer. Uh, again, it'd go with the language. It might be a bit unfamiliar. But use this as an opportunity for you to come before God and ask him to retune your heart so that you might feel something of his grief at your sin, that you might see him looking at you, but also share something of his joy and peace that he freely gives you through the gospel. I might leave just a moment for quiet reflection, and I'll invite you to, as you're sitting, to pray this prayer with me. Let's pray, friends. Almighty God, you alone can bring into order the unruly wills and affections of sinners. Grant your people grace to love what you command and desire what you promise that among the swift and varied changes of the world, our hearts may surely there be fixed where true joys are to be found. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit,
0: one God, now and forever. Amen.